<laughs> Amen. Oh, I'm going to move this because I have to be able to see right here. Hang on. Well, if you didn't get a chance to listen to Pastor Peter last week, I really recommend that you go and listen to that. And uh, it was just a great foundational start to understanding what it means that love breaks through. The mic's a bit weird on me, bud, so I'm going to let you adjust that and play with that a little bit. Thanks. I don't know if anybody else hears that. It's just me. It's just me? Okay. So don't touch anything. Apparently, it's just me. It's all good. I feel a little bit off because the Oilers have not played well for five straight games. So, but let's get into a spiritual mode now because uh, that doesn't change anything in the eternal nature of God. Amen? <laughs> so Pastor Peter really just talked about that every blessing uh, that we receive uh, comes through the Son of God. doesn't come through us. It comes through the firstborn. And as we put our faith in the firstborn, we receive every blessing of the firstborn. It was just a great word he went into and talked about love breaking through heaven coming down to earth. But today I want to talk to you about love breaking through culture. Now, what is culture? A simple definition of culture is culture is what we make of the world. But I'm going to give you this definition from Wikipedia because I thought it was complete. Culture is an umbrella term which encompasses the social behavior and norms found in human societies, as well as the knowledge, beliefs, arts, laws, customs, capabilities, and habits of the individuals in these groups. That's a mouthful. Culture is really what you experience in the world. And... Um, and uh, Maddie, I don't know if you've sinned or something, but you don't have to sit alone, brother. <laughs> Maddie's, Matt, Maddie's having a contemplative moment off to the side. If you, you can't see him if you're watching online, but he's okay. He's okay. <laughs> so culture is this thing that uh, you, it's, it's not even, you're not even conscious of it. It actually is happening all around you. And in our world today, uh, how many of you know that you experience multi-cultures? It's, it's all over, especially in Canada, but really around the globe. And uh, you think about culture, you think about civilizations and societies. You think about the religious cultures that we all live in and experience. Uh, they're all around us, not just the Christian culture, but there's cultures of religion all around us. How about the culture just in science? How about climate change, the flat earth culture, creationism, Darwinism, evolution? All those things are different cultures. Do you understand? They bring with them a set of thoughts, a set of understanding, a set of a way of looking at the world. How about race, gender, age? Just in our lifetime, think about social movements. Just in the last little bit of a season of our life, how about things like Black Lives Matter or the woke culture? How about feminism? How about LGBTQ? Uh, how about pro-life, pro-choice? How about capitalism versus socialism? Do you understand every one of those words I just said brings a cultural understanding? 
And people who abide in those cultures see the world a certain way, act and behave because of the way they see the world. And how many of you know, all of you in this room bring a culture? You live in a culture. You understand a culture. You see the world through a lens and this cultural lens. You throw a rock in any direction, you're going to hit culture. And how many of you figured out that not everybody agrees with you? Seven of you have figured out that not everybody agrees with you. The rest of you, just hang in there, you'll see. Now, we know this is true. We've seen cultural movements that are very uh, pacifist. And what I mean by that is they're not aggressive, but they're there, they're present. And uh, I think that, you know, maybe their aggression is, is n- not as in your face or forefront. And how many of you seen very active cultural movements that are very aggressive and want to push their agenda and their way is the only way to think? And so we understand that. And that's really, that's really uh, what we want to talk about is love breaking through culture. And I'm going to tell you a little secret. In Jesus's time, do you know that there was multi-cultures as well? Nothing's changed. And, and in Jesus's time, there were, if you read the New Testament, not only in Jesus's life, but every time in the book of Acts, every time the church went into a different part or a different region of the world, every city they went into, they would encounter a new culture. And all of the, those things became the, the, this incredible melting pot in which the gospel came into being. Jesus Christ comes into this multicultural narrative as well. And at his time, though that you could look at all the little minor cultures that were happening, there were two dominant cultures, and these cultures were, they were controlling, they, they controlled through fear, they controlled through intimidation, they controlled through religious thoughts, they controlled through force, And those two dominant cultures were the Roman culture and the religious culture of Judaism. Though there were subcultures and different things, those were the two main cultures that were around in pressing in Jesus' time. Jesus was not only heaven's deliverer, as we learned last week, breaking through from heaven to earth, but I want you to understand that Jesus actually came and brought a culture. He brought the culture of the kingdom of God. And this is what is an incredible thing. This is going to kind of, it blew my mind as I was preparing this message, um, because I was going to talk about individual cultures that Jesus impacted when he came. But my message just changed and morphed as I went through it. You know, rather than addressing the, the, the rights and the wrongs of each culture, Jesus actually didn't even address culture. He came and he brought a new culture which is revolutionary for me. He actually didn't correct culture. He just said, this is the culture of the kingdom of God, and it's open to every other culture, every other person, every other human. You are able to enter into this culture, change the way you think, which is the word repent, change the way you think, and follow God's way, and this is what Jesus was doing. The cultures of this world, the Bible warns us in the last days, and let me just frame this in a different thought. You know, if, if, if we're in the last days of history, which I believe we are, how many of you know the Bible says that anything that can be shaken is being shaken? And so I believe that the cultures of this world are also being shaken. 
And that's why, you know, we see people flailing back and forth. They don't know how to respond or react or different things. But the culture of the kingdom of God is going to be established now and for eternity, and it cannot be shaken. So that's what we want to talk about today. What is the culture of the kingdom of God is the first thought we're going to look at. And what are the challenges of living in a multicultural world? And lastly, how should we as followers of Jesus cultivate the kingdom culture in this world? Well, let's pray because I'm going to go through some thoughts today and I hope to stretch your thinking, but help us to land in a place where we can say, okay, I can see where God is leading me and leading us as a church. So Father God, I pray today that you help me to communicate all that you've placed in my heart, Lord. God, I believe this is just a pivotal kind of thought message. Holy Spirit, help me to communicate it, but more importantly, help your people to receive it. Help us, Lord, to have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive and respond to you. Give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better, Lord, and to know the hope and the culture that you've called us to, Lord God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, what is the culture of the kingdom of God like? And I'm just going to give you a couple rapid thoughts here and just for us to understand. What's the culture of this kingdom like? Well, first of all, there's an authority and there's a government in this culture. Just like any other kingdom, that is true of this kingdom. And the authority in this kingdom is Jesus Christ. He's the sovereign ruler and the supreme authority of the kingdom of God. And the body of Christ, church, the body of Christ is his government. You're his hands, you're his feet, you're the extension, you're, you're the action of the church. Is, and I'm not talking the church as in the Father's house building. I'm talking about you in your places of work, your places of life, your eating, sleeping, going to work life. You bring the culture of the kingdom, the government of God flows through your life. That's an incredible thought. You are to represent the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. That's not just on Sunday. <laughs> That's in your business life. That's in your going to the grocery store life. That's when you go to Costco and you see the price of steak and you don't lose it on the butcher life. Amen? No one said amen. Okay, here we go. It's not the butcher's fault. Here we go. L listen to the scripture from Ephesians chapter 1. All this energy issues from Christ. God's, God raised him from death and set him on the throne in deep heaven, in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule, and not just for that time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. Wow. You're important. <laughs> you're an important being in this world because you represent and you're ambassadors of the kingdom of God. You see, you and I all have our own kingdoms to administrate. I want you to understand this is a, kind of a, an interesting thought for me because you know, sometimes when you, you, re, you, you ever think about in your life, like you, you do something that you know you're not supposed to do, 
and yet God doesn't punish you for it, and you think, oh, maybe he's okay with this? Anybody else ever thought that thought? No one wants to raise their hand but me right now. But you all know what I'm talking about. And, and I want you to, to understand, I, I've said this before, and I, I, I just believe it more and more. You know who the least controlling being in the universe is? It's God. And you're like, that is a crazy statement. Oh, you are far more controlling in your life than God is. You're in charge. <laughs> and he will not usurp your authority. But you know what he does? He invites you to come into his kingdom and to operate your kingdom under his kingdom. But you can choose to be outside of his kingdom. This is the amazing thought to me. You are free to do whatever you want in this life. God has created you with free will. But we as Christians say we're going we're gonna to actually come and bring our kingdom and the kingdom force. You know, I love this. It's not a kingdom of force, but a kingdom of submission. Its power is in surrender, not in control. And so I have a choice. Do I bring my kingdom under his kingdom? Do I bring my, ruler, my, my life under his rulership? And if I'll do that, I'm going to tell you a little secret about the kingdom of God. You actually don't lose anything. When you finally understand that if I will live my life and rule my life under the rulership of Christ, I have nothing but gain in front of me. You know, this is why the Bible says in Philippians 2, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. And then it goes on and explains what Jesus did. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but instead made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. He was found in human likeness. He became a man, but not only did he become a man, he became a man and became obedient even unto death, even death on a cross. And then it goes on and says, therefore God, it's an incredible thing, has exalted him to the highest place. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow, every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What he's saying is Jesus Christ, who's the King of all creation, the Lord of all life, he came down, he became a man, he took on flesh, he, he, he lived a life in utter submission to God, and because he lived his life in this beautiful posture of submission in his life, God said, I am going to bless him and exalt him to the highest place. And this is the invitation for you and me. That if I bring my kingdom under the kingdom of God, God will not cause me to be repressed or oppressed, but one day will lift me up and exalt me, not only in this life, but in the one to come. This is the promise of God. We get one life to decide if we're going to live it on our own or if we're going to live it with God in his life. It's a powerful thought for me. So what we bring under the lordship of Jesus in our lives, we rule over this in this life and in the next. So we have an authority, we have a government, we have a purpose or a mission of the kingdom of God. So the kingdom exists for a reason. <laughs> and the reason of the kingdom of God is to bring righteousness, justice, peace, and joy to the kingdoms of this world. This is the gospel. 
This is the good news, church. The culture of the kingdom of God is open to all. And in the Father's house, we talk about that. We talk about, you know, the Father's house exists in order for people to find their way home to God. This is why we're here, that people can find their way home to God and start to learn how to live as disciples who care. And this is what you need to understand. This church exists in order to express the kingdom God, in order to fulfill the purpose and the mission of the kingdom of God, to call people home to the Father. I love your job description. Here it is, very simplified in Isaiah 61, just a couple verses. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed and commissioned me to bring good news to the humble and the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted, to proclaim release from confinement and condemnation to the physically and spiritual captives and freedom to the prisoners, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. It goes on and talks about, you are the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and you will establish the kingdom of God, and you will restore the devastated places, places that have been long devastated. The the, the power and the commission and the anointing of God is on the body of Christ, on the government of God. His presence is on your life and on my life in order to bring the kingdom to bear upon the kingdoms of this world that are under, under destruction and under disillusionment and under darkness and under brokenness. This is who you are. Wow. What a job description, God. What a Christmas gift. Hallelujah. Not only do we have a government, not only do we have a purpose, but we have a citizenship. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. The Bible says we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the son that he loves. Amen. Not only do we, have we been given a citizenship in heaven, not only are we called the citizens of God, but he actually he adopts us and brings us into his family. That's an incredible thing. Not only, you know, you become a son and a daughter of God, you represent the heart of God. That's why Jesus said in John 1.12, yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's a relational kingdom. This is what you're part of. But there's a law in this kingdom. Oh, there it is, Pastor Greg. There's a law. How many of you, you know, law's good? But here's the law of the kingdom. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, in another version. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's it. Love God. Love your born-again true nature who God created you to be. Love others as you love that self. And do whatever else you want. Think about it. If you love God, you're never going to do anything to offend God. If you love your neighbor as you love yourself, you're never going to do anything to offend or hurt them. So if you just keep those two commandments, you can do whatever else you want. 
Okay, moving right along. Hallelujah. Government, purpose, citizenship, law. Praise the God. Praise God. How many, you know, and everything I just talked about, everything I just talked about is the culture of the kingdom of God. This is what it is. We, we live it intrinsically. We don't even understand it. it. Now listen to me. It's not a permissive love that allows us to live like the devil while claiming to be a child of God. It's a law of love that leads us to life and life abundant, for we're citizenships under the rulership of Christ. It's a love that flows out of the love of Christ. We love not because we love God, but because God first loves us. And out of that love, we flow. And this culture gets built. It begins to live and be reflected in our life. It's a culture of submission to Christ. It's a culture of mutual submission to one another. It's a culture empowered by the spirit of joy. It's a culture of dependency upon Christ and one another. It's a culture of faith. And all these things are made up in what you and I call the kingdom of God. Just listen to me summarize this. Citizens of the kingdom live under the government of the kingdom of God, follow the laws of love, live for the mission of the kingdom, and live out of the culture of the kingdom as seen in the fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit being displayed in their lives. That's the culture you're part of. Amen? Okay, hang in there. Because there's a second thought here. What are the challenges of living in a multicultural world. You see, as Christ followers, we are not supposed to be in the world. We're in the world, but we're not supposed to be of the world. And so that's the challenge. In other words, the cultures of this world are not meant to dominate our concerns or even understand, you know, or, or, or influence us. That's not what they're supposed to do. We are to be culture makers in the midst of the cultures of this world. That's the job of the church. You know, we're provide an alternative culture in this world. Now, it's interesting to me, this is the message, repent and believe the good news. <laughs> the kingdom of God is open. Jesus, in his life, is very interesting. He responds to the cultures and kingdoms around him. This is his response to the cultures and the kingdoms around him. Because I want you to get, he didn't address or condemn the cultures. Though they tried to bait him to do that. They really did. Do you understand that the dominant cultures, again, were Rome and the religious law of the Pharisees of, the Jude of Judaism? Jesus was baited by continually by those around him trying to get him to attack culture. <laughs> but I want you to see what he did. Number one, they tried to bait him to defy Rome. You remember the story, I'll give you one of them. Uh, the story goes, they go to him and he, they say, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? Now, what they're trying to do is get Jesus to say, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar, you know, give everything to God. And, uh, and by doing that, he would defy Roman culture, and they could actually have him put in prison for sedition. 
okay? So they think they have him. But if he says, you should pay your taxes, then they're going to say, oh, he's a friend of Rome. He's just a, he's a puppet of Rome. And so they think they've captured him. So Jesus says something incredible. He says, bring me a denarius, which is a day's wages. It's a coin. He says, bring it to me. And he says, he looks at it and he says, whose inscription is on this coin and whose portrait? And they say, Caesar. And I, I, I just pictured in my mind, I, you know, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I just see him kind of flicking the coin back to them and saying, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. You see, whose portrait and inscription is on you? God's. You are created in the image of God. And so he basically doesn't take the bait. Are you following me? He doesn't get in this big rant. He doesn't go on preaching about how bad Rome is. Bad's bad government. Oh, they're terrible. Oh, they're going off. Oh, they're doing all these wrong things. I'm going to tell you, you know, there's a lot of Christians right now that are chasing after the culture of government in our world. And they're derailing their faith. Jesus doesn't take the bait. He's not going to defy Rome. He comes and he brings a counterculture. And he invites all to join him. Now look, follow me here. They tried to bait him to defy the religious law. Remember the two dominant cultures around him were Rome and the religious law. So this is the story where they try to bait him to defy the religious law. They bring a woman to him and they say, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery, Jesus. Now the law of Moses says she should be put to death. What do you say? You see, he's been preaching God is love. God accepts people right where they're at. God will take you no matter what you've done. He will forgive you, and, and he will walk with you to live a life of victory over that sin. This is what he's, he's been teaching and preaching and demonstrating. And so now they think they've captured him. Because listen, if he says, let the woman go, he's broken the law of Moses. And they can have him put to death for preaching heresy. But if, he's, if he says, kill her, then everything he's been teaching and preaching is a lie. I mean, in the most brilliant, amazing moment, <laughs> Jesus doesn't say a word. Guys, you, like, can you imagine the pressure that is on You think social media is hard. These guys are standing around with stones the size of their hand or fist or head about to crush this woman holding stones. And they're saying, what do you say, Jesus? And he doesn't respond. The Bible says he kneels down in the dirt and he begins to write. And then he comes up with an answer they never thought of. As a matter of fact, I don't believe it existed until Jesus spoke it. He created culture right in that moment with his words. And he said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And he bent down and started to write some more. Now, we don't know what he wrote, but the only other time in the Bible when we see the finger of God writing in dirt was when he carved the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus into stone. So I, I think, I'm taking a little liberty here, 
I think he looked at people and started to write their sins in the dirt. And the Bible records that from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and they walked away. It'd be a little unnerving to have Jesus write your sins looking at you in the dirt, wouldn't it? And what he's saying is, if you want to live by the law, then you will die by the law. Because you have to live up to the whole thing. (laughs) Then he looks around at the woman, this is incredible, because he brings the culture of the kingdom even stronger. And he says this, woman, where are your accusers? Remember, she's coward. She's hiding. She's about to be stoned to death. And she looks up and sees they're all gone and all these rocks are laying around her. And she says, they're all gone. Now, this is what's incredible. The law of Moses demands that there be two witnesses brought forward before someone can be stoned to death. There's none. (laughs) So Jesus doesn't break God's law. He says, well, if they're not here to accuse you, then neither do I accuse you. But then he says this, this is very critical. He says, now go and leave your life of sin. He doesn't say, oh, I I don't accuse you. You just keep on doing whatever you want to do. You can do whatever. You're in the kingdom now. No, no, no. He says, no, no, I'm going to empower you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to cause you to not have to live in sin anymore, to try and find and feed an appetite in your life. Wow. Wow. He didn't justify her sinful choices, but set her free to make new choices. Amen? Wow. I mean, think about, guys, just think about the cultures that Jesus invited into his story. He invited into the kingdom story. It's incredible. Women had no rights in Jesus' day, yet in the the narrative of of, of the understanding of Christmas, Women were the central in the story. The Mary, Elizabeth, Mary Magdalene. Think about the foreigners that he invited, the wise men, the woman at the well. Incredible. Outcasts, the disqualified, lepers, lames, shepherds, sinners of all types, women caught in adultery, tax collectors, seniors, called Simeon and Anna, whose whole lives they were waiting for the culmination of the kingdom of God, are brought into the story and empowered in order to bring the kingdom narrative to this world. The wealthy and the poor, the Jews and the Gentiles. Jesus Christ brings a new culture to the world. Hallelujah! Galatians 3.28 says it this way. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither female nor male. If you are, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Every culture, every thought you could have, literally God opens the door and says, come on in. The water's warm. The kingdom is open. Repent and believe the good news. You can do life with God. Hallelujah. Whoo! He wasn't concerned with trying to change culture as with presenting and demonstrating a whole new culture. Hallelujah. Church, this is so critical. 
This is so critical. The only way to change culture is to create more of it. You can't change the cultures of this world, but you can demonstrate a whole new culture. Okay, Greg. So what's been the church's response? Andy Crouch in his book, Culture Makers, brilliantly lays this out, and so these next thoughts are, well, they're mine, but I'm just taking the titles from him. Here's the first thing the church does, is we condemn culture. (laughs) That's kind of the fundamentalist withdrawal from culture. Let's just, you know, we're just going to go in our little holy huddle. We're going to move into our sanctified life of world of believers. And, you know, everything's going to be wonderful. How many of you know that's not going to change the cultures of the world, nor does it represent the heart of God? It sounds good. (laughs) You know, I love our Christian school, but I love the fact that at grade eight, kids have to go and be part of the public system. And you say, well, Pastor Greg, that's terrible. Why would you say such a thing? Because if we can't instill in them the rootedness into Christ in the first eight years of their life, that they can withstand the pressures of all the world coming against them. I'm not going, if you're homeschooling your kids, don't, I'm not, okay, God bless you. It's okay. I'm just saying, when they get out from under your covering, they're going to hit some wind. Does that make sense? They're going to hit some wind. And and they better be prepared for that wind because you're not going to be there to guard them and cover them and protect them and control them for all of their life. Okay, that was a free one on the side. Forget I said it. It's all good. You had me until you said that, Pastor Greg. No, keep going. Stay with me. Stay with me. We condemn culture. But unless we all offer an alternative to culture, it's going to carry on in its destructive force. Does that make sense? So then we move to critiquing culture. Nothing wrong with being critical of culture. Uh, By the way, every one of you should be critical of pornography. You should be critical of that. You should say it's not good. By the way, it's legal. People can download it, watch it, do whatever they want. How many of you know it's it's a destroying culture? That's all it is. it's, It's doing something that is not bringing life. It's bringing destruction. You should critique that culture, (laughs) okay? But understand, you know, protests don't really work that well. You know, sometimes movies will come out and Christians decide we're going to protest this movie, and they line up to protest, and you know what happens? They sell more tickets. You understand there's always a tension is what I'm trying to get at. You got to be wise as a serpent, right? Innocent as a dove. What does it mean in this culture to critique it? We don't want to fuel the box office ratings of something <laughs> that makes us look foolish. Kerry Newoff asked a question in his latest article. It's interesting. Why would we expect people who are not Christians to behave like Christians? Do you understand? That's a cultural narrative we're bringing on the world, and we're saying to the world, you should behave like a Christian. Christians can't even behave like Christians. Come on, church. We're getting real here. (laughs) You know, we we say to people, wait until marriage to have sex. We say, clean up your language. You know, be celibate if you're attracted to people of the same sex. 
And then we say to the government, why don't you pass laws so the entire nation could behave like Christians? They're not Christians. <laughs> why are we asking them to do that? Do you understand? I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just putting it out there. You know, Jesus never blamed pagans for acting like pagans. But he called religious people out for acting like self-righteous hypocrites. Okay, guest speaker will come next week. He'll be better than me. It's all good. I'm not done. I mean, it's getting, I got to get a tissue because I'm crying here. Hang on, I'll be back. Okay. Okay, so we, we're not called to critique culture. We're not called to um, condemn culture in a sense. You understand what I'm saying now? Pick it all up. So then the church moves to copying culture. And we've seen this in spades in the church, and there's nothing wrong with copying, copying good things in the culture, but you don't want to land there and live there. In other words, everything within the kingdom of God is, is created in a newness. So I, I'll take a great idea from culture, and the kingdom should be able to make that improved. Okay? So this is where we get into trouble sometimes, copying culture. Running churches like businesses in the way we treat people and treat, you know, members of the church as consumers, <laughs> and we treat people as employees instead of brothers and sisters. Sometimes we cater to the consumer culture instead of calling people to a life of discipleship and obedience to Christ. Even things like worship and the presentation of the gospel, we have to be careful that we're led by the Spirit and that we're led in unity. Be careful of copying culture is the point. And here's the damning worst statement I'm going to make today. The worst thing the church has done in our, in our lifetime is this. They've consumed culture. Let me read a quote from Andy Crouch's book. The dominant posture among self-described evangelicals today toward culture is neither condemnation nor critique, but simply consumption. Everything and anything goes because Jesus is my buddy and he winks at my sin. But this is not the kingdom. The kingdom is to compel people up and forward with God, not just by leaving them comfortable and complacent in their sins that cripple them, but calling them in the life of the kingdom. Listen to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 1 goes through this incredible litany of teaching on what happens to a culture that moves away from God. It is some of the most terrifying scriptures in the world. Terrifying. Verse 18 and on in Romans chapter 1 is just like, this is what happens. It's, it's like the trinity of sin. The world just starts going down when they, they, don't, they don't worship God, they don't respect God. This is all the stuff that starts to happen in their life. And then at the end of it, we're all cheering because we're in the kingdom of God and we're like, yes, preach it, Paul, preach it, Paul. And then chapter 2 comes and we, we wish we had never said preach it, Paul, because here's what he says. You, therefore, have no excuse you who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourselves because you who pass judgment do the same things. Wow. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, 
not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you toward repentance. See, we're not to take a posture of condemning or criticizing or copying or consuming. So then what are we to do? Well, we'll get there in a minute. Church, you need to understand, all of us have been called out of various cultures in the world. Some of you were called out of religious cultures and set free by Jesus. Some of you were called out of sexually perverse cultures and you're being set free by Jesus. Some of you were called out of whatever. You you can list anything you want, but Jesus is moving upon your life and he's setting you free. Line upon line, precept upon precept. He's breaking off the chains. He's breaking off the chains. How many of you know you're constantly being renewed and changed into the image of God? And so it is with every other person. And so we can't point at the person that's next to us and say, you need to change when all along we've been saying, God, you forgive me and you love me. That's incredible. This is the culture of the kingdom. This is what he's warning. He's saying, there's a whole dirty, polluted world that I have opened the doors to, and I've said, come on in. And we as the church can't go, oh, oh my gosh. Holy Lord help. So what do we do? (laughs) Here's the good news. Thank you, Pastor Greg. Don't leave to go pee right now. You're okay. If we're not to consume, copy, criticize culture, then we're to cultivate and create culture. You are image bearers. You are created in the image of God. Hallelujah. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God looks at your life and he says, now come and cultivate, create the kingdom of God in the midst of your world, wherever your world is lived. This is the job of the church. Hallelujah. You know, Because the kingdom of God is not fully formed in us, sometimes we think it's our job to then start criticizing the other cultures of the world. Church, just stop. (laughs) You can't expect unsaved people to act saved. You can't. All you can do is love them and demonstrate a new kingdom that God is inviting them into. Amen? And here's the thing, you know, A moment of clarity has to hit every one of our hearts. You know, one of the reasons we've been doing this book study and every one of the false narratives we've been looking at, I'm already into the second book and I'm studying, preparing for the messages coming in the new year. And you know, as I'm reading this book, as I'm listening to it, as I'm going through it again, I'm like, oh God, my first thought, church, is not, oh, they need to hear this. My first thought is a mirror doing sweet Jesus. God, help me, for I have consumed culture, Lord. God, I've been critical of this. I've expected unsaved people to act save, God. 
That's the heart of God right now, church. And he's saying to all of us, church, this is why I've called you in this moment of history to cultivate and to create culture, amen? Which is going to start with you and me. It doesn't start with pastor changing the way he preaches. It doesn't start with Tyler increasing his worship or doing different things. It starts with you. If you don't like Jesus' teaching on sexuality, ask yourself why. If you're living in promiscuity and pornography, if you don't like Jesus' teaching on money, don't point at the church. Say, why am I not being generous? Why am I not following the principles of the tithe, sowing and reaping? If you don't like Jesus' teachings on forgiveness and mercy, this is part of being in the kingdom. Your life is not your own. It's the deal you've made. Jesus, I take your righteousness. I take your holiness. And I lay mine down before you because it's filthy rags, Lord. Church, the holiness of God is here right now. The holy presence of the Father is here right now. It's incumbent on us to listen I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying this so that you might be free. The world is desperate for you to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. That's it. This is our last moments of history. Philippians 2 says this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. Do everything without complaining or grumbling, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a worked and depraved generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Band's going to come back now. Church, that word work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do you know that term is an incredible term? It was one of the first passages I ever studied in Bible college. And that term literally means to turn the soil. It means to work the soil of your heart, to work the soil of your life. You know, guys, just because you've been a Christian for 40 years doesn't mean there's still not junk that's coming out of you. Come on. There's not attitudes. There's, there's attitudes that are being displaced by God right now. You know, a lot of times when you're angry about something, when you're, when you're upset about something, the church is doing that wrong, da, da, da. you know what? Take a mirror first. Say, God, what are you doing? What's in me? What's in me, God, that you're taking out right now? What, what rock are you turning over? What rock are you turning over in my life, God? And he doesn't do it to condemn you, church. He does it to set you free. And all you have, you know, people say to me, Pastor Greg, why don't you preach more on sin? And I say, well, I do preach on sin. (laughs) 
and holiness, but I have to preach the solution because you're not the solution. Christ is the solution. The culture of the kingdom of God. What is God working out of your soul right now? What attitude is God asking you to lay down in the midst of his kingdom and say, God, forgive me for this. And now help me to live with you and for you. Help me to live with one another. Amen? Why don't we bow our heads in prayer and then we're going to sing a song. Jesus, you know I've been praying for the spirit of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord to fill the church. God, I feel you right now here. But Lord, you don't come to condemn us. You come to set us free. And so Spirit of God, move through these rows right now. Move online to people at home right now, God. This is a holy moment. A moment of repentance. A moment of surrender. A moment of coming into the kingdom more fully. God, where we have consumed cultures around us inappropriately, forgive us. Where we've critiqued inappropriately, forgive us. Where we've condemned or copied inappropriately, forgive us, Lord. Holy One, forgive us, I pray. Help us to live with you and for you. If you're here right now and the Holy Spirit is just speaking to you and you just want to acknowledge and say, Lord, there's some things I'm laying at your altar right now. You know what? Just an act of faith is just to raise your hand, not for me, but for the sake of God. Raise your hand and give God a wave right now. Say, Lord, that's me. Many of us are raising our hands right now. Online, raise your hands. Hallelujah. Let's just pray a prayer as believers right now, those that are in the kingdom of God. Let's all pray this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, forgive me where I have condemned culture or critiqued it inappropriately or consumed it, God. Help me now to create culture, to cultivate my life, to see transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you're here today and you have never asked Jesus to come into your life, you've never been born again, you've never said yes to God, today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Not tomorrow, not when you go home, and it's now. If that's you, if you're watching online, if you're here right now, just raise your hand and say, Pastor Greg, would you pray with me to ask Jesus to come into my heart and into my life? Yes others that would join if you're online just make that commitment there's a place for you to press a button and just say I made a first time commitment to Jesus can we pray with these that have raised their hands here today say Heavenly Father thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me and help me to live with him and for him in Jesus name Amen Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet and we're going to sing this song and I want you to sing this song as a moment of consecration. If you need prayer,
If you need to take a moment to come to the altar just as a symbol of your commitment to the Lord, if you need prayer, there's going to be at the end of this service, there'll be people to pray for you. But let's just make this sanctuary a holy place, a place of consecration, a place of dedication. Amen. Let's sing this song through once together. Let's worship Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. moment of worship right now, church. I, I know God is doing holy work in us right now. Don't leave here feeling condemned. <laughs> Just give that to Jesus. 
the Bible says if we will but confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? So right now, just let's just, whatever it is, don't leave here with it. Just lay it down. This is the beauty of the kingdom of God. He accepts you right where you're at, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Amen? So good. So good. Go in the grace and the peace and the power and the presence of God today. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. The band's going to sing us out. You can stay if you want to stay in prayer right now. You're welcome to stay in the sanctuary. They're going to sing this song one more time. If you need prayer, there's people at the cross that would love to pray together with you. Please pray for the next service that people hear the word of God and a beautiful, holy presence of the Lord fills the sanctuary. Go in the peace of God. Let's sing it again, Pastor. Come on. You're all.